Life is messy. Life is very difficult at times. We have this idea of Christmas that we want it to be this way or we want it to be all perfect. And a lot of times Christmas is not that way. A lot of heartache, a lot of heartbreak at Christmas time. A lot of struggling at Christmas time. You know, and, and the good thing about the Bible, the one thing about the Bible, the beauty of the Bible is this, that God enters into that difficulty and challenges of life. The, the Bible actually speaks to the issue of challenges of life. There's a, a text in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, that says this. It's a beautiful verse. It reminds us of, of God, and he's aware of the difficulties and the challenges. He's aware of all that's going on in our life. And uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. This idea of hope deferred means this. Sometimes our hope, like in our little drama, our, our hope is, is dragged away. In other words, we have this hope in something or someone, and it's dragged away. And, and when your hope is dragged away, if you will, your heart is left sick. And there's this longing that we want, this longing of a tree, this longing to have whatever the difficulties and challenges of our life, whatever we have going on in our life to be fulfilled so that we can experience hope. And I don't know what you're going through today, this week. This last month, this last year, 2021, has been kind of a difficult year, hasn't it? But the Bible says that we have a God of hope. And what I want to do this morning is this. I want to point us to the God of hope. Uh, we've been looking at the thrill of hope this past year, and it's from one of our favorite songs, uh, A Holy Night. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. A weary world rejoices. We are weary in life. We're worried about all the difficulties and challenges. Our hearts are weary. Our hearts sometimes are hopeless. And, and a weary world rejoices because in the nature and the character of who God is and what he's done for us in, in coming to earth. And we've been looking at this theme. Uh, we began with a, a guy by the name of Paul. A, a guy by the name of Paul who's actually a, a murderer and he considered himself the absolute worst of sinners. But he had this understanding that, that Jesus came, that Jesus appeared, the incarnation. He came to earth to save us from our sin. So no matter what has happened in my life, what I've done in the past, the Bible says that Jesus came to save me from my sin. This one thing that separates me from a holy God. And Paul knew that. And he embraced that. And he relished in his relationship with God. And last week, we looked at this, this young gal by the name of Mary, whose life is rather going to be changed because she's going to bear the, the Messiah. She's going to give birth to the Messiah. And though she didn't know what was going to happen, Though there was fear in her life of, of the future and what was going on, she had the promises of God in the Old Testament. She had the promises of God. She saw, listen, if God can do these things in the past, then I can trust Him for my future, which is going to help me in my present. And we saw that. That Mary could, could trust. She could have hope in the nature and the character of God for who He is and what He's done. And, and this morning we have this interlude, if you will, from the, the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is writing a letter to some people who gone through some difficulties and challenges of life. And he gets almost to the end of, of Romans chapter 15. And he, he has this pause, if you will. Some people believe that this is probably where he wanted to, where he wanted to stop the letter. But we have this pause, if you will. And, and what, what he does is he takes them to the nature and the character of hope. So he's, he's been speaking, writing for 15 chapters, if you will. And then all of a sudden, in, in chapter 15, he stops and says, listen, I want to tell you about hope. I want to tell you about this person of hope. And that's what I want to look at this morning. A, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices because of the nature and the character of God. We can have hope because of who He is. So let's just look at that. Let me pray before we look at our text this morning. As we look at this prayer of hope, 
this prayer of hope, that what we are going to be challenged to pray. We have a responsibility to react to this prayer, if you will. And when we respond in the appropriate way, God wants to fill our hearts. He wants us to actually overflow with joy and peace this holiday season. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonder and the beauty of Christmas. Father, that we can come in this morning, we can see lights and be reminded that you ultimately are the light of the world, that light shines in the midst of darkness. So no matter what I'm going through right now, no matter what I'm feeling in my life, no matter how difficult my life is, that I can look to you and trust you for what you're going to do. You've been faithful in the past, God, and we know that you want to be faithful in the future. So Father, we simply want to look to you. We want to look to the hope that we have in the unique person of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I ask that you would open our eyes this morning so that we would see wonderful things from your word. And all God's people said, amen. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And, and here's the verse. And it's a, it's a prayer. And, and hear the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's no doubt that when Paul was writing this, he's writing to some people that in Rome who no doubt had challenges in their life. Most likely, in about maybe A.D. 67, a guy by the name of Nero started a fire, and he blamed it on Christians. So there's no doubt it was really, really difficult for people to be a Christian at that particular point in time. A lot of things were going on. They didn't like the idea that people would actually worship Jesus and not the emperor, the Caesar, the one who was in charge. They had this understanding of, of who God was, but it wasn't the right God. It wasn't the God of the Bible. And so what, what Paul is doing is he's writing to people who's no doubt who is experiencing difficulties and challenges in life. You ever thought about what crushes hope, what destroys your hope? So I was thinking about this past week. I went through a couple of things, and I just want to lay out a couple of things that I see going on in 2021. What destroys our hope? What discourages our hope? What brings us to a place of hopelessness? Number one is this, this idea of discouragement. You ever get discouraged in life? Maybe life is not going the way that you wanted. Maybe your family is not the way you wanted it. Maybe your, your relationship with your spouse is not the way you wanted it. Maybe your, maybe your job, your profession. Maybe your, maybe your children are not exactly where you want them to be. And there's this sense of discouragement in life. And, and that's what, what happens to us. There's a sense of hopelessness because we get discouraged in life. I think there's a second curse or cause of hopelessness, and it's this. Loss. Loss. You ever lose something? The loss of a relationship, the loss of a family member, the loss of our security. When you lose something that's precious to you, there is no doubt we feel this sense of loss in our life. And when we feel and experience this sense of loss, a lot of times we're left there going, well, what, what am I going to do? Where do I go? I don't, know. I don't know what to do. There's an interesting verse that Paul wrote to Timothy, his young son in the faith. And, and I think there's a principle there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says this. Notice what Paul writes about what we, what we hold to in life, what we hold to as important in life. He says this, command those who are rich in this present world. I would imagine you and I, we could consider ourselves as being somewhat wealthy in the things that we have. So not only is Paul writing to them back now, but, but he's writing to us today. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
You know what Paul's point is there? He says, listen, if you put your hope in the wrong things, in this case, the wealth of this, if you put your hope in the wrong things, which are so uncertain, a lot of times you're going to be left to the sense of disappointment. Maybe that's why our jobs don't ultimately fulfill us. Maybe that's why sometimes when the money runs out, we're not fulfilled because we don't have anything there. And, and notice what he says, God will richly provide for you. That's what Paul's point is. So when we have something that's in our lives that's removed from us, that's taken from us, we feel the sense of loss. And if your job and if your money and your family has been the thing in your life and that is ripped away from you, you are going to find and experience a sense of loss. So we get discouraged. There's a sense of law. What about this? You ever give up? You ever give up in life? There's actually a term, give up-itis, that was coined, if you will, in 1950-53 by medical officers in the Korean War. What they found was this, that prisoners, when they were captured, if they get to a point, they will ultimately give up. And when they give up, when they cannot see a way out of their predicament, they give up and they call it give up-itis. And that's ultimately what happens. Sometimes a person gets in a relationship. Maybe they're in a job or something. And they basically said, you know what? I'm done with this. I cannot... I cannot do this anymore. There's actually a, a, a guy, a psychiatrist, who began to look at people who had committed suicide and people who had died in overdoses. And he began to look at all of these studies, dying, by, dying of despair in 2017. And this was a psychiatrist. And what he found out was this. He said that a person's ability to succeed had nothing to do with their circumstances. It had nothing to do with their wealth. It had nothing to do with um, whether they were physically in pain and suffering or anything like that. What kept a person on the right track from not taking their life was one thing. If there was a sense of hope in their life, they would persevere. If there was no sense of hope, they would ultimately give themselves over to despair. And that is what a psychiatrist figured out in 2017. And so we have this understanding in a world that life is very, very difficult. And into that, Paul speaks. The God of the Bible reveals himself to us. And notice this prayer, if you will. Romans chapter 50. Notice again, it says this, May the God of hope fill you. If you take a step back and look at the broader context of this letter, we understand this, that this is actually, this is actually a, a, a prayer. What Paul is doing, he's stopping, he's getting ready to close this letter. As he begins to think through the people and where they're at, their circumstances in life, he begins to pray. And what he wants to do is he says, listen, I, I want to pray something. I want to pray that you will experience all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't we want joy? Don't we want peace? Don't we want to overflow with God's goodness and God's grace? Isn't that a wonderful prayer? Wouldn't that be a beautiful prayer for all of us as we experience Christmas this year to pray for our church and for our families that we would be people who would experience joy and be overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit? And that's what God wants to do here. And that's what Paul is trying to get to the people. That's what he's trying to remind the people of the nature and the character of God is that he is a God of hope. And what's important for us to understand, too, is not only is this a prayer to the God of hope, for hope, but this prayer is also rooted in hope. If you go back and look at the context of verses 8 through 12, what Paul has basically done is this. Before he gets to this prayer, what he's basically done is he's taken them to Moses and Deuteronomy, and he's taken them to David in 2 Samuel, and he's taken them to Psalm in Psalm 117, and he's taken them to Isaiah the prophet. And what he basically did before this prayer was to remind them of the nature and the character of God, that God is a God of hope, that people outside of Judaism, 
people who are non-Jewish, a pagan like me, a pagan like you, that there is hope for Gentiles who are separated from God. And that separation from God comes in the form of looking to a person by the name of Jesus. And, and that's what Paul has done before this. This prayer is rooted in God's promises in the past of a Messiah who would come, a, a, a Messiah who was promised by David, a Messiah who was promised by the psalmist, a, a Messiah who was promised by Isaiah. In other words, Paul is rooting the reality of this prayer, this God of hope in the historical reality of what God has done in the past. And because of what God has done in the past, what you and I can know is that we can have hope with him in the future. And that's what Paul is doing. He's simply reminding these people, listen, you can hope, you can trust in who God is, you can come to him in prayer because of what he wants to do in your life. Do you realize that hope was found in the Messiah? That's what he's saying here. Hope was found in the Messiah because he came to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins, which means this. If God has been faithful in the past to the Jewish people and he's been faithful to Mary, and he's been faithful to Paul that you and I can look to him and we can trust him for who he is and what he's done because God will do what he says he will do. God will do what he's That's what hope really is about. God says, listen, I have all of these wonderful promises of you and I can put my hope and my trust in who he is and what he's done. Now may the God of hope, the one who has revealed himself in the past, may he come to you, may he reveal himself to you in such a mighty and powerful way that you overflow with what? With joy and peace by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the people to whom Paul was writing, they would know this. They could look back to Abraham and say, you know, God provided a sacrifice. When Abraham went to the mountain, God, what? He provided for the sacrifice. Remember Hagar when she's bawling? Her life is over. She's bawling because she has nowhere to go. And the, and the angel comes and God shows up to her and, says, and she says, ah, you are the God who sees me. And David, David says, Lord, you, you are my shepherd. Abraham, Hagar, David, they all knew and understand the nature and the character of who God is and how we operated in, his, in their lives. God had been faithful to them and God will continue to be faithful. Let me ask, is that the God that you look to? Is that the God that you embrace, the God that you trust? It's interesting that when you look at this God of in the Bible, he's the God of our fathers, and he's the God of Israel, and he's the God of glory, and he's the God of heaven, and he's the God of truth, and he's the God of all grace, and he's the God of peace, and he's the God of love, and he's the God of comfort and hope. Is that, is that the God that you're praying to on a daily basis? The one that you want to, to reveal himself to you in a mighty powerful way when you feel like life is really difficult and life is really challenging? See, biblical hope is this. It's a confident expectation that God is going to fulfill what he's given to us in a promise in his word. It's a confident expectation that God is going to do what he says he will do in my life and your life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can find you where you're at and radically change your life? Do you believe that? Or is it just kind of wishful thinking in your part? And see, what Paul is doing is Paul said, listen, I, I want you guys to be mindful of something. I, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray in a mighty and a powerful way. I'm going to pray that God would do something powerful in your life, that you would overflow with joy and peace through the power of the Holy Spirit so that you would be a light in the midst of the world. And you know what Paul's specific prayer is here? May the God of hope would fill you, fill you. Don't you want to be filled with the presence of God? The Holy Spirit of God wants to fill our lives. Ephesians chapter 5, it says, be filled with the Spirit. I mean, is that what we want in our life? That I'm filled with the Holy Spirit of God in such a way, it's like a, 
It's like a river that the banks are overflowing, and the Spirit of God is flowing through my life in, in such a mighty and powerful ways as, as I look and reflect on the nature and the character of God and what He does, He changes me. He says, listen, I want you to what? May the God of hope fill you with all joy. Joy. It's an incredible word in Paul's writing. 21 times he uses the word joy. Why? Because he wants us to experience joy, not necessarily in the circumstances in life, but in the nature and the character of who God is and what he's done for us. And he says, I, I want you to be filled with joy. And what else does he say? I want you to be peace. I, I can have peace with God, and I can have the peace of God. I have peace with God because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and going to the cross and offering him himself as a sacrifice for my sins, and he cleanses me from all of my sins. And now, in the midst of life, the difficulties and the challenges of life, I have the peace of God because he gives me that peace through the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in my life. You see what the difference of hope is? Hope is not something that comes from the outside. It's not something I'm going to get. It's not something I'm going to possess. Hope comes from what? It comes from the inside. When I'm resting in the nature and the character of God and who he is and what he's done for my life, and I'm claiming the very promises of God that he will take care of my past, he will take care of me in the present, and he will take care of me in the future. I'm banking on, counting on the nature and the character of God, and that comes through the presence of the Spirit of God in our life. God gives himself to us in a mighty and powerful way through his Spirit. And we have this wonderful, wonderful promise that as I look to him, as I continue to put my faith and my trust in him, what does he do? He responds to my life. Do you have that kind of hope? Do you have that hope as an anchor for your soul? Anchor is something that I've, I, I'm, I'm claiming to. I've, I've thrown out and I'm going to stay right here. My, my anchor is Jesus Christ and what he's done for me and for my life, no matter how difficult and challenging life is out there. There's a pastor by the name of R.C. Sproul, and he says this, and I like this. He said, hope is called the anchor of our soul, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish. I wish that such and such would take place. Rather, it is that which latches on to the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made for us. No wonder Paul stops. He pauses after all of this wonderful writing about who he is and what he's done for It's no wonder that he pauses and says, listen, I want to pray for you. And I want you to pray for other people that we would be people of hope claiming, hanging on to the nature and the character of God for who he is and what he's done for us. And so Paul says, I'm going to pray for you people, that you would be people of hope. So we have this wonderful description, if you will, of the God of hope. Now, what's our responsibility? Notice our responsibility in, in verse 13. It says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think there's two responsibilities here. First one is this. you got to pray. we got to stop in the midst of life and acknowledge the nature and the character of God, who he is, and what he's done for us, and stop all the busyness and reorient our lives, however you would choose to do it, in your car, getting up early, and acknowledging who God is and reframing our life for what he would have for our life. We need to spend time pouring out our hearts and our minds to who God is. We can't just dismiss him and walk away. Our hope is rooted in a relationship with him. And he wants us to come to him. He wants us to spend time with him. He wants us to break off from all the trappings of the world, to stop in the middle of life and to acknowledge who he is and what he's done for us. 
you know, Thursday morning, I don't know how you do your quiet times. I don't know how you spend time with the Lord. I know how I've got to do it. I've got to get up early in the morning. So I get up in the early morning, and I'm reading Psalm 139. When's the last time you read Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4? It's incredibly powerful. This is what God says to David in Psalm 139, verse 4. Listen to what he says. He says, I know about you, David. I know when you sit. I know it's when you rise. I know your thoughts. I know you're going in and you're going out. I'm familiar with all your ways. I know what you're going to say even before you say it. God is so familiar with David. God is so familiar with you. God is so familiar with me that he knows exactly what's going on in our lives. And if he knows exactly what's going on in the pain and the suffering, the turmoil of your life, shouldn't we acknowledge that and give ourselves to him and seek him? Who else can we go to other than God? And I think that's the challenge here, that we would look to who he is, that we would respond, we would pull ourselves away from the trappings of the world, acknowledge who he is, and seek his face. David in Psalm 62 said this, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. And then in verse 8, he says this, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. In other words, David is simply doing the same thing that that Paul said. He's saying, listen, I'm going to seek the very face of God. I'm going to wait. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to acknowledge him for who he is. I'm going to pour out my heart to him because he knows me intimately. This is a prayer of a person who's rooted in the nature and the character of God as the God of hope and acknowledges him, knowing that God can do mighty and powerful things in it. Paul had radically been changed by who Jesus is. And now he wants the people in Rome to know that this God of hope can radically change their life. Paul wrote to the people of Ephesus these words in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, another prayer. When you think about praying, when you think about acknowledging God, when you think about responding to him, notice what Paul wrote to these people. He says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart, you know, sometimes our hearts are closed. Sometimes we can't necessarily see who God is and what he's done in our life. We get so consumed by all the stuff that we're doing, all the trappings of life, all the busyness of life. And Paul says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's something the Spirit of God needs to do in order that you may know the hope. Do you have the insurance? Do you have the insurance of that hope in your life? The hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us to believe. I mean, think about that. Riches, inheritance, power, all of that. And what Paul is saying, listen, I want your mind and your heart to be open, receptive to who God is and what he's done for our lives. And so there's a responsibility here for us to seek the very face of God for ourselves and for other people. But I think that's the second responsibility. That's what he says. As you trust in him. I know there's a response of faith, but also what do I need to do? That's a verb. It means this. It means I, I need to trust him for my life. I need to trust him wherever I find myself today, wherever you find yourself today. Are you trusting him? Are you believing in him? That's what it means. Are you continuing to believe in him? It's, it's not something that happened. Well, you know, um, 10 years ago, I asked Jesus into my life and I began to believe in him. No. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that we are on a journey of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are on this journey of faith. And because of that, we need to acknowledge who he is, and we need to trust him in the difficulties and challenges of life. It says this, as you trust in him, every day, every day is an opportunity 
to rest and to trust in the nature and the character of God and to have hope in who he is and what he's done for our lives. Every day is a journey of faith. And what Paul is simply reminding them and us, in the midst of the ugliness of life, we have hope. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is, is doing something pretty amazing. He's giving a description of his life. He's giving a description of how difficult life has been for him. But notice how he describes it. Notice how he responds to these people. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. He's reflecting on his life, and he says this, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having, yet, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Did you see how he describes his life? We're sorrowful, but in the midst of that sorrow, we're still able to rejoice. Why? Because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I'm poor. I, I don't have a whole lot in my life. A lot of times I don't even have enough food. But he says, I am actually making many people rich. I have nothing. I have very little to my name, but what? I possess everything. Why? Because I possess the unique person of Jesus Christ. And because I possess him and he is living inside of me and the spirit of God is living inside of me, I have hope. That's what Paul is saying. My life has radically been different because of this journey of faith. And what Paul is saying, I am going to daily put my faith and trust in him no matter what happens. So what can we trust him for? If he says, as, as you trust in him, that's the, as you trust in him, well, what can we trust him for? Three things we can trust him for. Number one is this, hope triumphs over our past. Hope triumphs over our past. doesn't matter what you've done. Paul says, listen, I'm, I'm the worst of sinners. I am the absolute worst of sinners. My life is an absolute train wreck because of what I've done. And maybe that could describe your life. Maybe there's something you've done in the past that nobody else knows about. And maybe you're actually a little bit ashamed. The Bible says this, that hope triumphs over our past. doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus says, listen, I, I went to the cross, and I died on the cross for your sins so that we can have this forgiveness of sin. Now, if you will put your faith and your trust in me, what I will do is I will wipe out your past. I will forgive you of, of, of the ugliness of your past. And I will redeem you. And I will show you a new and better way to live. The old things have passed away. What? Behold, new things have come. Why? Because I have given you new. Hope triumphs over our past. Remember the, the movie City Slickers? The guy gets to a point in his life, they're all out in the woods, and he's just, he's just bawling because he's done some really bad things. He knows that he's going to lose his wife. He's going to lose his family. He's going to lose it all. And he's just pouring out his heart to his people to his friends, and the, and the guys say, you know, you get a do-over. You get to go back and do-over. That, that's what Jesus says. He's, he says, listen, I will redeem your life. You can, you can change your life. I will redeem your past is what I will do. I will make good on the promises that I can bring beauty from the pit of ashes of your life, no matter how bad, you, no matter what you've done. In the book of Lamentations, there's a beautiful description of the nature of the character of God. You go back and read Lamentations, the, 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 the author is just lamenting Jerusalem. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed because of the people's sin. And there's a beautiful description of, of the nature of God in Lamentations chapter 3. Notice what it says. So I say, listen to his heart. Listen to the way he's feeling. He says this, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember, and my soul is downcast within me. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like your soul is downcast within you? That's what this guy felt like. 
looking over the city of Jerusalem that he absolutely loved. God was going to destroy it because of their sin. And he'd been telling them over and over again, will you repent, will you turn to me? But notice the hope that he has. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have. In other words, what does he do? He begins to go back in his mind and the nature and the character of God. He uses self-talk, if you will. He uses the word of God to convince himself and the nature and the character of God and his promises. Yet this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Of course, compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every day you get up. Every day you get up. A new experience of God's what? God's faithfulness. God's grace. God's mercy in our life. Every day we get up because of God's wonderful compassions for his people. You you see how hope triumphs over our past? Listen, I don't care about your past. I don't care how bad it is. Listen, I've got a pretty ugly past. Until I came to Christ, it was pretty ugly. I'm embarrassed. You would be embarrassed. And some of the people in this room are that same way. But the Bible says that hope triumphs over our past. Second thing is this. What can we trust God for? Hope triumphs over our past. Second thing is hope sustains us in the present. Hope sustains us in the present. You ever get discouraged? I, I do. And you look around and you go, wow, things are not they sure aren't going the way that I thought they were going to go, my family, my personal life. You know Moses? Moses was discouraged. Go back and read Moses in the book of Exodus. He was discouraged. Elijah? Elijah ran. Elijah ran from the Lord. He said, Lord, what's going on? I'm the only one here. What's going on? You go back and look at all of these faithful. Jeremiah was so despondent about the, what was going on in his life. He cursed the day that he was born to question why God even created him. The psalmist in Psalm 42 says this, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? The psalmist is crying out to God. Listen, we're not any different than people in the Bible. These people who struggle, Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah, the psalmist. But listen, this side of the cross, Jesus offers us something beautiful. It's called living hope. It's called living hope. That every day you and I can have living hope, no matter what you are going through in life right now. A guy by the name of Peter, who no doubt loved Jesus, and so often got off track in his relationship with Jesus, even denying Jesus at one particular time, went back to his old former way of life, fishing. His life was radically changed because he met this compassionate, good and gracious God. He wrote for us about this living hope in 1 Peter chapter 1. Notice what he writes. Listen to him bring this letter to these people who've been scattered abroad all throughout Asia Minor. He says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. What? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been born again into a living hope. And every day you and I walk with hope. And that hope is rooted in the power of the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. And just as secure as Jesus was raised from the dead, you and I can have that future hope. Notice what he says, into an inheritance, never perish, foil, fade away. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in their last time. Do you know that type of living hope in who Jesus is and what he's done for us? Think about Peter. He was called by God. He lived with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. So all of these wonderful miracles. He denied Jesus. He was rebuked by Jesus. He was called Satan by Jesus. He walked away at the end and all of that. Jesus came back to him, restored him, 
back into a relationship with him. And then he writes these wonderful words about Jesus being our living hope. You know that living hope every day you and I experience. You know this living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So as you trust in him, we trust for what God has done in the past. We trust him for what God is going to do in the future, even when you don't know what God's doing. There's an interesting quote by Charles Spurgeon here, and I want to put it on here. Notice what he writes. And maybe you find yourself here today. God is too good to be unkind. God is always kind. He's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. We must trust that God is going to continue to give us his grace and mercy. And that's the life of faith, as you trust in him. So Paul says, listen, I want you to pray. I want you to pray to this God of hope. I want you to make this a focus of your prayer, not just for yourself, but for other people. I want you to trust in who he is for what he's done, that, that hope can redeem your past, that can carry you in the present, but also it can assure you of the future. That's the final thing I want to deal with, that hope can assure you of the future. Are you ready to meet your creator? Friday night, you know, the storms are coming through, and we're watching our grandkids, and they're watching the TV, and we're watching all this stuff going on, and we're just monitoring. You know, we're kind of in that corridor, like many of you were. We're wise, we're watching, we're watching through the corridor, and, you know, it starts getting a little bit bad, and they say, you need to do this. So we went downstairs, went downstairs, and, and then we came upstairs, and then we, we hear of the tragedy in Illinois, and then we hear of the tragedy in Kentucky. I mean, these people in Maryfair, Kentucky, going to work on a Friday night at a candle. There's no doubt in my mind they had no idea what was coming. No doubt. And you know what? Neither do you. And neither do I. We do not know what tomorrow holds. Our life is but a mist. Our life is but a vapor. We're here today, gone tomorrow. And you and I do not know that. But it is really important that you and I live in awareness, a God consciousness of who he is and what he's done for our life. Are you ready to meet your creator, to stand before him and give an account for your life, past, present, and future? Do you have the assurance that Jesus is your living hope and that you are trusting in him for what he would do in your life and for your future? Remember at the death of Lazarus? Everyone's distraught, and Jesus has their attention. Lazarus is in the grave. In John chapter 11, verse 25, notice what Jesus says about that situation of Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe? This is the same to us today. Do you believe in who Jesus is, that he is the resurrection and the life, and that by simply putting your faith and your trust in him for the forgiveness of sin, you will have this type of eternal life? That's the ultimate hope of the future that we have. Listen, I don't know it all. I do not know it all. But I know that one day when I pass from this life, I'm going to stand before the Lord give an account for my life, and I'm going to say, thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for my sins because you have secured my future. You have that kind of hope? That's the hope that Jesus offers to us. That's the kind of hope that we should be praying for. That's the kind of hope that Paul wanted the people in Rome to know. Romans chapter 8, he's already written about hope. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. Notice what Paul wrote to these people. For in this hope we are saved. What was the hope that he was talking about in Romans chapter 8? The hope that he was talking about in Romans chapter 8 is this that one day our bodies are going to die. We're going to go into the grave. And the other flip side of that is that our bodies are going to be resurrected and they are going to be glorious. We don't know exactly what that looks like. We can look to the life of Jesus and the transfiguration. We don't know exactly what it'll be, but that is the hope that we have. And notice what he says. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. 
Who hopes for what he already has? But we hope for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently. We wait for the ultimate hope of what Jesus is going to do for us in the future as he ushers us into his kingdom and into his presence. Is that your hope today? That's your hope? He offers us hope. It's a living hope rooted in the nature and the character of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Paul has this, this prayer to the God of hope. And he says, listen, I, I want you to be people of prayer. I want you to pray for yourselves. I want you to pray for other people. That hope is rooted in, in who God is and what he's done in the past. So I want you to pray. I want you to trust in him. As you, as you trust in him, past, present, and future, as you trust in him for those things, I want you to go about life. And the last thing is this. There's the fruit of hope. Look at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is the fruit that you and I will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit? We're living in joy. We're living in peace. Why? Because of God's miraculous work in our heart based on the resurrection of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? So you can leave here today overflowing with hope as you rest and trust in the promises of God. You can be filled with joy. You can be filled with peace knowing who Jesus is and what he's done for you in your life. That's the hope that we have and who Jesus is. Not a plastic kind of hope, but a hope rooted in the reality of a man by the name of Jesus who went and offered himself as a sacrifice for sin on the cross so that we could experience this eternal hope. That's the beauty of Christmas. That's the beauty of a relationship with him. So I want to close with an illustration. I heard this song on the radio. I just thought that it was really good. If you're aware of a guy by the name of Toby Mack, man, he lost a son. Really sad thing, lost a son. Talked about a guy who's gone through some difficulty. He lost a son not too long ago. But he wrote this song called Promised Land. And the song is kind of a, a tribute to his grandfather and his father who were, worked in the coal mines. His grandfather actually died of black lung disease. And I just want to quote the, the words of the song as we end. To hear the words. It says, well, I've run this earth for many years, and there's one thing I know. There's nowhere on this side of heaven where streets are made of gold. I've long laid down my grand illusions, looking toward the day that I'll be home. I won't give up on this race because I still have faith that this old life is all part of a plan, and I can feel it in my soul. One day I'll stand before the throne with nothing left but hope in these two hands. Through all these seasons, I'm still believing you're my promised land. In all my grieving, I'm still believing you're my promised land. What his point is, the promised land is not a place, it's a person. It's the unique person of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul does. He elevates the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as our living hope. I hope that's true of your life this day. I hope that's true of your life as you leave here this morning. We have an opportunity to extend hope to other people. Maybe there's somebody who's hurting, maybe somebody's going through some difficulties and challenges. Let's not be shy about coming alongside of them and being able to sit with them and say, listen, let me introduce you to the, to the God of hope that I know. Let me tell you about what God has done in my life, in, in changing my life and redeeming my life and giving me that living hope. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are our living hope, that we can put our faith and ultimate trust in you. Father, thank you that you have saved us and called us to a holy calling. And Father, we simply want to be people who overflow with hope, not because we're trying to do something and not because we're trying to conjure up some kind of false feeling, but people who overflow with hope 
by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we ask that you would do a supernatural work in our hearts, in our minds, Father, in our church, as we look to you as our living hope. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.